Welcome to Tap In, Waterloo Region's newest community podcast, brought to you by Social Venture Partners. I am your host, Rose Greensides, and over the next three months, we will take you on a journey where we will tap into real social issues facing real people in our region. Joining me will be other community leaders, where together, we promise to inspire you to be part of the solution. Joining me as co-host today is Sean Campbell. Sean is a SVP partner, principal of Scaled Purpose, a management consultancy firm for nonprofits, charities, and cooperatives, and executive director of Union Cooperative, which I'm sure we will hear more about later in the episode. Welcome, Sean. Bros. Our topic today is all about the housing crisis affecting Canada, and in particular, Waterloo Region. So it's fitting that our guest is Ryan Pettipier, Director of Housing Services at Region of Waterloo. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Rose. Happy to be here. Ryan, perhaps we can start with you speaking into what I'm thinking or perhaps calling the housing continuum. There's so many areas within housing, shelters, supportive housing, subsidized rental, all under that umbrella. Can you just maybe speak to a few of those in that continuum? Sure, Rose. And I, the concept of a housing continuum is a, is a general way to understand the various services, supports, and types of housing that are available to all of our demographics uh, across the region. So you can either think of it as a, as a linear concept, and there's even newer models that uh, have it as a, more of a, a circular visual. But if you think at one end of the continuum, supports and services for people that might need emergency shelter or are currently living unsheltered, uh, progressing through options and supports of supportive housing, transitional housing, government-supported housing in various forms and, and levels, all the way up to subsidized rental and affordable home ownership within the market as a general sort of overview of the housing continuum. And if you think about a healthy community, there should be enough housing supports and options and programs to support our entire population across the continuum, no matter where you fall within the income spectrum or life circumstances. Great. That's helpful. I think people sometimes don't realize that that continuum is so large. So that gives us a bit of a synopsis. I want to focus on potential barriers that residents of Waterloo Region are undoubtedly facing in the housing crisis. You know, I'm thinking about people new to Canada, people with mental health issues, and I'm sure, Ryan, you can speak to so many others. What are some of these barriers and how do we ensure that we acknowledge this when we implement any regional strategy and really ensure that we focus on the inequity of, of the housing market? Yeah, and it's increasingly challenging to, to try to operate and come up with that healthy housing continuum. The environmental factors are, are not kind currently. We're certainly not operating in an, in an optimal environment. What's increasingly challenging is the increase and lack of overall uh, affordable housing across uh, the province, across the country, across the world. Affordable housing is increasingly challenging for everyone, regardless of where you fall on that income spectrum. Couple that with two plus years of operating within a, in a pandemic, increased immigration and, and refugees um, from, uh, from across the world, increases in mental health and addiction are just some of the challenges that are compounding um, the current housing crisis uh, that, that we find ourselves in. We are simply not keeping up with the supply needed across that housing continuum that, that I described earlier. And the environmental factors 
that continue to to contribute to the crisis uh, are, are just further compounding and increasing the challenge that we're seeing on the ground in our community of Waterloo Region. Ryan, the region has been working really hard along with nonprofits and charities to create new affordable housing units. Can you talk about some of the projects that have been approved over the last few years, any that you're particularly excited or feel hopeful about? Yeah, thanks, Sean. And, uh, you know, uh, to sort of like balance out my previous comments, uh, you know, I, it's a challenging environment to operate in. It's not without its hope and not without its bright spots. So thanks for that question. It's what keeps me grounded in and motivated in the work that we do. What we've seen over the last couple of years in particular is an incredible response from our municipal partners and not-for-profits and and overall community to try to address this challenge at a local level. The regional municipality of Waterloo has put a significant financial investment into trying to solve this problem at the local level. We've seen investments of uh, an increase of close to $20 million uh, directly to trying to solve the affordable housing issue in this region. We know that the answer to homelessness and the unsheltered homelessness problems that we are visually seeing across our community, ultimately those are resolved with housing. And there's a couple of specific programs that we've invested in to to try to get at solving this issue. We've come out with a pretty bold and ambitious target of developing 2,500 new affordable housing units over the next five years. And for a municipal level, that's a that's a significant investment. When you look back historically, what we've been developing uh, with provincial and federal funding to date, we've produced about 50 new units of housing on an annual basis. So the target of 2,500, we're, we're talking about, you know, a tenfold increase in what we produce on an annual basis to try to make some headway into to resolving this issue. And not only are we trying to do that by increased financial investment, um, we've also looked at additional assets that we have regionally, specifically in land, putting our uh, regional surplus properties up for the purposes of creating new affordable housing units. We're also looking at built form of housing as well and have uh, developed a few pilot projects over the last few years, really looking at modular forms of housing in ways that we can tap into the built form to accelerate housing development increase energy efficiencies, and also that the time it takes from project concept to actual occupancy. So trying to operate on a number of different fronts to really accelerate uh, affordable housing development uh, across this region. And a lot of this work has happened in a historically low interest rate environment. As you see, you know, a lot of the stories in, in the news today about inflation and interest rates going up, how sensitive is the social housing sector to rate increases? And are there any tools or steps that are being taken to, to help ensure that as rates go up, these units can still be be built? Yeah, one of the, the challenges I didn't mention in addressing an earlier question is like the rise of construction costs. So the more that it costs to build housing, the harder it is to create uh, affordability with, within that housing. So that that is a direct connection. So as the, the cost of construction, both in building materials and time and interest goes up, um, it's another challenge that we're going to be facing um, across the sector in creating affordability. So we're watching what happens in that space carefully. I think it's increasingly important that we look for partnerships 
and innovative ways to, to create that affordability. So I talked about uh, using surplus properties that uh, the municipalities, the province or the federal government may have. I talked about direct infusions of capital cost to those projects. And the, the other key there is going to be partnerships, partnerships with the not-for-profit sector, partnerships and pilot projects with uh, innovative built forms of housing and, and just different ways that we can pool our resources that's going to be uh, the way that we get through this, the way that we find some innovations and ways to continue to provide even more affordable housing. Brian, there's been a lot of information shared lately on a policy point of view, including the federal government's budget and uh, the Ontario Housing Affordability Task Force, who actually recommended 1.5 million homes in the next 10 years. You talked about the regional strategy and sort of your lofty goals. Are these recommendations from provincial and federal government, will these help push the region even beyond your goals? How will that relate to sort of what we're doing here on the ground? Yeah, I, I think that they they will help. What, what remains to be seen is, is how much they will help. Uh, the recommendations that came out of the provincial task force largely had a focus on the planning and approval and, and time associated uh, with that aspect uh, of affordable housing. So I certainly think that it will help. I do think it will help bring more housing to market quicker. And hopefully by accelerating that, that increases the supply, which increases the affordability. It saves some of the development communities some time and money as they develop housing. I hope that that, uh, that those uh, time and cost savings do translate into affordability with the type of housing that uh, that does get developed. I think time will tell if that's been a successful strategy or not. To go back to your question, will it help? I, I think so. It's a matter of how much will it help uh, the efforts that we have on the ground uh, locally. So Sean and I are big not-for-profit fans, aren't we, Sean? It's kind of what we do. And so I know you talked a little bit about not-for-profit, the space there and you know how they're valuable, but for listeners that might not understand that, can you give us an idea of how the not-for-profit space actually provides the value to, to the work that you're doing and uh, the role that they play? Yeah, for sure. So right now, when we look at existing uh, community housing, and when I say community housing, it's types of housing that has a, a subsidy attached to it to create affordability at various different levels. The region of Waterloo owns and operates uh, just shy of 3,000 units uh, of community housing at the deepest level of subsidy that's available. And that's that's referred to as rent geared to income. So at a high level, the way that that housing works is that uh, no matter what your income is, you would only be contributing 30% of your income to your rent. It's your income that sends your rent level. As your income changes, your, your rent level would uh, fluctuate that uh, as well. Beside that, we have uh, existing agreements with not-for-profit and co-op housing operators. And that accounts for close to 5,000 additional units of community housing uh, with affordable and rent geared to income rents um, built into those units. So combine that not-for-profit sector together, you're looking at close to 10,000 existing deeply affordable units of housing across the region. It's a massive contributor to affordability across the region. 
And by and large, it's been a successful model of operating very affordable community housing stock. Additionally, we have all kinds of partnerships outside of those with existing not-for-profit organizations that either operate supportive housing or affordable housing or our emergency shelter system or services to the homeless population across the region. Uh, It's fair to say without the not-for-profit sector, uh, we couldn't do what we do across this region uh, to keep as many people in an affordable and safe and adequate situation as we do. Uh, They're essential. Key things that communities across Canada have to address over the next few years uh, relate to co-op funding agreements expiring, Certain nonprofits, you know, folks are looking to retire. They're getting a little bit older. We saw that with the the Civitan property a few years back. Are there potential losses to some of those nonprofit housing units? And how is the region and, and the senior tier levels of government looking to respond? Yeah, great question, Sean. And I'll try to answer the question uh, without getting into too many of, uh, of the weeds as possible. But if I if I stay too high level, let, uh, let me know. Number one, yes, it, it is a concern. A lot of the agreements that created not-for-profit and co-op and even affordable housing uh, going back 20 years were done on 20-year agreements. So as those agreements come due, depending on who is currently operating those housing units, it becomes a potential risk of the loss of stock. Uh, I talked earlier on about the efforts that we are engaging in to create multiple thousands of more units. All those efforts could essentially be undone if at the same time we're losing existing stock. So it's important that we as levels of government operate on both fronts of creating new, but also preserving existing. Because if those existing units are leaving the system At best, we're only treading water and not actually making progress uh, into what is an existing crisis. The province of Ontario announced on March 30th, uh, just a couple of weeks ago now, their framework and adjustments to the existing housing legislation that governs the existing not-for-profit and co-op housing agreements with the sector. So now that we have got the proposed changes to those pieces of legislation, we now can uh, begin to work with the sector on preserving. And it will be the primary focus and goal of the region's approach uh, to preserve all of the existing uh, agreements that, that we have in our current stock. And you mentioned preserving existing units. One type of unit that Union Co-op and others are particularly concerned about are the loss of what's sometimes called naturally occurring affordable housing units in our region. And as you know, these are units that, you know, don't have granite top or stainless steel appliances. They have really long-term tenants who have called these apartments home for, for many years. Increasingly, these are the types of properties that are targeted by investors because of the potential for rental uplift or the revenue enhancement strategies. What is the impact of the loss of those types of units and the pressures on the social housing system? And are there any tools or pushes being made by different levels of government to help protect those existing levels of affordability? So yeah, to go back to one of my earlier comments, and again, if we think of the housing system along that continuum, as those naturally occurring or existing units of affordable housing are, are leaving, 
What that does then is put additional pressure lower down the line on the housing continuum. So more people applying for community housing, more people needing supportive housing, additional pressure all the way down to our emergency shelter system and ultimately unsheltered homelessness. So as those leave the system, it puts more strain on the existing resources. So they are an important part of a healthy housing continuum to start my answer to the question. We've seen the federal government signal some changes with their latest budget uh, announcement in tools that they are looking at to try to curb some of this. You'll see that uh, result in things being proposed like a foreign buyer's tax, for example. That's one tool that, that is under consideration. At a municipal level, there are not a lot of tools currently available to, to monitor or to curb private sale or private ownership. I think from a regional level, we are again interested in preserving wherever we can. Uh, you mentioned a, a Civitan example where there's a units that have been up for sale and as a community, as a region, trying to broker a deal to, as best we can, ensure that those units stay within the affordable sector. And that takes willingness of various levels of government. It takes a willing seller as well to want to ensure that uh, those units stay affordable. So it's much trickier to both monitor and solve at a municipal level. And I think that uh, we've seen some signals from the, the federal government and even the province through planning legislation and other tools that they're trying to, to curb it at their level. Thankfully, the example of Civitan that we've referenced a few times had both sellers who are really committed to permanently preserving that affordability and supportive housing of Waterloo with municipal support was able to step in and preserve those units. So that's a great, a great case study of this, the success of a partnership between a seller organization, a nonprofit, and, and municipalities. Ryan, what other types of supports are available to low-income individuals or folks struggling with housing and affordability right now, whether it is the region of Waterloo's housing wait lists, rent banks, or other services offered by some of the partner organizations that you fund? As I mentioned, there's a, there's a number of programs targeted across the, the housing continuum, Sean, uh, for, for various uh, individuals in various circumstances. So you mentioned the rent bank, so, so I'll start there. So there is a rent bank uh, that the region funds uh, hosted by Lutherwood for people that uh, are in the private sector and get themselves into a situation of arrears. So it's a resource that's available to community members that need some one-time help to get out of their arrears and potentially avoid an eviction from their current housing situation. The community housing waitlist is our central access point for all types and forms of affordable housing as they exist across the region. And that's uh, that's the starting point for somebody that needs increased uh, affordability or just wants to know what options are available to them. Different types and programs also available. I think I'll touch on our, our rent supplement program. So again, this is a program that exists for people in the private market that need some help with affordability in their existing circumstances. And a rent supplement can help pay the difference between uh, somebody's income and what they can actually afford where it comes to their existing rents in the private market. One of the, the more recent uh, initiatives that I'm pretty pleased with that we've, we've rolled out over the last year are 200 
new rent supplements for people in marginalized or racialized uh, demographics. So that's 200 new rent supplement programs to pretty vulnerable members of our community, trying to, again, increase equity when it comes to uh, housing across the region. Uh, We started rolling out uh, that benefit. I think uh, we've put out uh, 30 of those rent supplements so far, and we'll be rolling out the additional 170 of those rent supplements uh, to members of those communities uh, over the course of 2022. So Waterloo Region is full of innovation, and it's no surprise that our community is trying to address this in in crisis in a different and unique way. I'm going to take Ryan off the hot seat and place Sean there for a minute. Sean, I want to talk to you a little bit about your initiative, the Union Co-op. Obviously, this is a topic that is super important to you as per why I've asked you to be co-host with me today. Can you talk a little bit about that and perhaps any other unique solutions the community is trying to bring forward or that you've seen around the world that could potentially be something Waterloo Region looks into? Union Cooperative is a new organization. We think we're the first of our kind in Canada, making a a real built-in Waterloo Region innovation here, where it's a hybrid between a community land trust and a renewable energy co-op. So one of the challenges with community land trusts is that they often rely on donations of cash to buy land or donations of land. And there's only so much of both to go around. And a lot of it goes towards charities that provide supportive housing for folks who face multiple barriers to housing. And that's great. That's really important. But when we think about how to preserve these naturally occurring affordable housing units that we talked about, well, we really need to bring in new sources of funds so that when a project becomes available or a property becomes available, we can we can move on it. So with Union Cooperative, we're raising funds from community members just like us as well as from charitable foundations, family trusts, in order to form the down payment required to buy existing properties when they come up, take it out of that speculative market and hold on to it for permanent affordability through community ownership. So we've been working on this for a few years now, really fortunate to have received great support from CMHC and others, but also great advice from the region of Waterloo KW Community Foundation over the years as well. We're now approaching 200 members, which is a a big milestone. We thought if we could hit 100, that would be quite the accomplishment. And clearly, we set our ambitions too low. There's so many people in this community who want to help make their neighbor's journey just a little bit uh, easier. And Union Co-op's excited to be one more tool in the community's tool chest alongside the great work of charities, nonprofits, and, and the region of Waterloo. Wonderful. So you talked about how people can help kind of by looking into that space. We'll make sure that there's a link as well in our show notes. Any other thoughts from either of you on, you know, people who are listening to this and saying, I want to be part of the solution. What are some of the things that people can do? I'm just thinking about the elections coming up as well, provincial and municipal. Are there things we should be asking the candidates? Any insight on that would be great. Ryan, do you want me to take the the ask of political uh, questions? No, I, I think we should leave that to Ryan. No, I'm joking. So I think there's lots that people can do locally, whether that's looking at things like laneway houses or garden suites, whether it's adding duplexes or triplexes. If you do own a property, thinking about how that fits with broader affordability objectives. Are you and the pricing of those units part of the solution for affordable housing? If you inherit a property from a family member, or if you're looking to retire and sell that property, is there a nonprofit, a charity, or a co-op that may be interested in purchasing it, still providing the funds that you need to retire and move on to those next steps? 
but can preserve your legacy of providing good quality, affordable homes. Those are all steps that we can take in order to make this community more affordable. Um, but I think one of the other opportunities that's coming up that everybody should be aware of, because it, it is a good opportunity to have some input into what the future of Waterloo Region looks like, is our current review of the regional official plan. So that is happening currently, and that will lay out uh, the future of several planning tools and land use policies that will have a direct impact on what our community looks like and affordable housing for the future of this region. It's a really important tool and a really important tool for some of the existing affordable housing that we touched on earlier, that naturally occurring, or sometimes what gets referred to as the, the missing middle housing that has a direct impact on the rest of the housing continuum. So I would just highlight that as another opportunity, in addition to some of the uh, exciting elections uh, that are coming up uh, in our future. Great. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. So thank you again, Sean and Ryan, for your time and your insight and really passion for the subject. We will have links and resources provided uh, in the show notes that have been discussed today. So thank you both. Until next time, this is Rose Greensides, host of Tap In, brought to you by Social Venture Partners. Mm-hmm.